Hey, what's going on, GNGs? It's your boy Track, and this is Track and Cryptos to Connect the Conversations with segment. For this episode, I have the opportunity to talk with Amber D. Scott of Outlier Canada, and um, I just gotta say, like, uh, when I re- when I originally recorded this, I didn't have the idea of the different segments like that. So I would be remiss if I didn't put her within the conversations with segment because um, she just knows her stuff and she is a really interesting person to talk to. Um, So you'll hear framing questions, which I usually don't use for this segment, but I had decided at the last minute to reassign where I would post this under. And so that's why you hear the framing questions. But as you also hear, our conversation just kind of goes about um, with different things related to crypto and outside of crypto. And so, GNGs, I hope you enjoy. I hope you're inspired. And um, just sit back and take a listen. All right, y'all. Enjoy. Hey, what's going on, GNGs? Thanks for coming back. This is Trek and Cryptos to Connect. I am Trek, and today I have the opportunity to speak with someone that I met earlier this year at my first conference. And she was definitely like insightful and just had like a really good vibe about her. And, you know, she has over the time since we first met uh, and, and following her tweets and stuff like that has helped to broaden my my perspective of the space where I'm not going to say it can only reach mass adoption through one means. Um, and if you've been in the space kind of long enough, you, I'm, I'm hoping you get that it's not just going to be a, a, a one size fits all to be able to make this mass adoption thing happen. But nonetheless, I would like her to give a little introduction. Um, Ms. Scott, could you please? Absolutely. Um, I'm Amber D. Scott, and I'm the founder and chief anti-money laundering ninja at Outlier Solutions. Um, We're big compliance geeks, so what we do every day is essentially to try to keep people out of trouble. So we help people operate their business without ending up in an orange jumpsuit, and that's um, probably about as cheeky a mission statement as I can get. You guys have orange jumpsuits up there too? Okay, sorry, (laughs) you come back one. So I actually have one because I want to do some of our stock art with it. Um, because we make jokes about it so often that I'm like, we we need to actually just have one. Okay, right now, <laughs> orange jumpsuit. <laughs> so, um, just to jump back one, so you guys understand why I said you guys have one too, because she's based in Canada. She's a Canadian. Um, I don't. Hey, like as, they would have as, figured as, it out from the accent, I think. Anyway, I, I would say the word about, and that would be the end of it. So some people though they they don't travel as far, you know. Fair. Um, but yes, and, it's like a and weird you, Michigan accent, I guess, if you don't know. Mm, okay, okay. I grew up right it, next to Michigan, so. Ah, okay. So if you're somebody who's looking to like get into into the crypto space, the blockchain space, from the business perspective, as like I want to be a new startup, blah blah blah. I want to do this thing. If you're in Canada, you need to look this lady up. And I'm, I'm going to big it up on the end of, I actually sat with her and um, for our first interaction and like actually got to hear a little bit of like what she thought about the space and how she was explaining stuff to people and kind of the little joking debates that were going on. 
um, at the lounge place in the hotel that we were sitting at for that first conference. So it was, was like, fun. wow, okay, like she, she she got some she got some stuff in the noodle there. She knows what's going on. All right, and and you know, like I said, I've been following you over the Twitter and stuff, and I'll kind of throw out comments at times, and sometimes you'll say something back, and I'm like, I didn't even think of that. All right, all right, I I, I get that perspective. You know, other times I'm just like, no, no. And that's just me being difficult, but. No, that, so that's okay. I, I think one of the most important things when it comes down to compliance is that it's never perfect. There's always going to be trade-offs. And some of those things are, are going to be business decisions. So when I tell you the, you know, the prudent move is to do a particular thing, you still have a business decision, right, about, about what you actually do. And that means understanding what the risk is that, and making a decision. Mm -hmm. But we have such complex and Byzantine systems, both in Canada and the U.S., that I, I think it's literally impossible for any company to be following all of the rules all of the time. And that's probably a very uncompliance person thing to say, but I, I think that that's the reality of it. I feel like you guys are doing a better job than us, though. I, I, I'll be honest. Like, I think that when it comes to regulation, as far as between us two um, neighboring countries, you guys have a better stance of let's be encouraging, but let's say, you know, here are the parameters, and they're relatively far apart as far as what your left and your right is. But it still isn't what we have where it's like, well, we're going to say if you want to be in this space, you can only do it this way and we're going to exclude X amount of people. And as opposed to making it easy for you to do this, we're going to make it really costly. Mm. And that's what I feel like the U.S. is doing, where it's like, um, it's not necessarily like as far as like even the IRS. Right. They came up with their thing, but it isn't like the most um, prudent or easiest or uh, burdensome process as as for what you have to do in order to what? be like I'm IRS compliant as a regular taxpaying person. Right? Yeah. Um, and then when you look at what the SEC, how they kind of like uh, we're we're gonna. We're going to walk this fence a and little how, bit. And how they conflict with each other. We, so I think we, we have some of that here. I, I expect that within the next couple of years, we're going to have some really interesting challenges about just which rule sets apply and when do they apply and, and what does that look like. Okay. I got a, I got a friend. Um, he's a lawyer down in D.C. And he, has, he makes some interesting arguments about like what the actual authority is. And like, but he's the type of dude who actually goes and reads like law cases and would be like, okay, this happened at this time, blah, blah, blah. And he, he's yeah. pretty interesting points where he's like, watch, we're going to, like you said, we're going to see challenges. And when the challenges happen, if your lawyer isn't one of those in the books kind of persons, you might end up losing and are going to, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. How, how you say things matter. And I think lawyers have a different perspective on certain types of risks too, especially if they're of that persuasion, especially if they're going to look up all of the old statutes and all of the precedents, um, mm -hmm. because they can make better predictions about how certain things are going to play out. But then you still, as a founder, have to make a decision. 
I know, uh, you know, or I think I know that if I challenged something, I could win with the right okay. lawyer. Um, so the regulator is saying X, I think I need to be doing Y, and I think I could win this challenge. But even if I win my challenge, even if I go to court, am I spending a million? Am I spending two million? Am I spending three million hey, how, on, how on my lawyer fees on fighting the challenge? And am mm -hmm. I dealing with a regulator? So am I, am I dealing with someone like the SEC who can do something like a stop trade order where essentially you just, that's it. You're not, you're not trading your asset during that point in time because that's as much of a problem as the money you're spending in the years. And it's generally years. If it's a big precedent setting case that it's going to take to adjudicate it, you might not be doing business. Look and, at dude. Um, How do you balance it? It's hard. It's hard. I don't envy that decision. The guy, what's his name? Um, it's Mark or Mike, the 3D gun printer guy. Cody, Technic Cody Wilson. Who? Cody Wilson. Yes. Okay. I was totally wrong on his name. I'm so sorry, Cody. Um, but like his situation, he didn't break any law, but then they still found ways to corner him back around. And he's like, all right, well, and it boiled down to that. like do I have the funds to fight this thing that I technically did not do wrong, but them saying, well, no, we just can't have you giving out willy nilly. Yeah. Like, like, I, like that, this is my, like where my heart really tugs in the space, right? It's an open source technology. The, uh, the, the initial or original concept is to be permissionless, but yet we're putting in um we're putting in controls and blocks and and things to you know guide it along which in turn works out to make exclusion in some parts of it and then in other parts of it it's just a blatant like all right i'm definitely going to see in my mind on the financial aspect of applying the technology through cryptocurrencies we're gonna take X amount of the bad business practices and then transplant it over into the crypto space and be like, oh, look, we're doing blah, blah, blah. We're making new moons. No, you're not. Like, like for all of the regulation stuff that I'm looking at, and I'm not saying I'm at your level of it. And the only thing, reason why I even know this much now is because of the company that I'm writing for right now. But everything that I'm looking at goes to on the on the surface of it it's about being able to integrate the technology and being able to have the business flow more easily or more fluidly less friction points right um so almost like streaming the money along but there's like no mention per se or at least anything that i would say how do you stop fractional lending how do you stop mm. x amount of like robo signing and and those bad business practices as far as the money laundering that you're claiming you want to stop but like hsbc hsbu just got caught earlier this year or last year for something so did um a couple of other banks and oh, then yeah. like how does that work like those are the things that that frustrate me because you're not making laws that are addressing that. So how are you telling me that? And I'm not saying you have to answer this question, but these no, are- No, I, 
so I, I actually I'm I'm very comfortable with that. Um, so so money laundering is already illegal. Um, fraud is already illegal. I like it's not going to get more illegal. Um, it's you know it's already a crime. We just have to get a lot better at actually prosecuting it. So I, I think there's a real problem in terms of the way that we deploy our intelligence community resources and the way that we deploy our law enforcement community resources. Um, it's a, did you watch The Wire when it was on? I think that's the most. It's I, I, I missed the first season, but I definitely caught the 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 latter the latter season. And yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that show is really a, an interesting example in terms of just how we don't incent long-term financial crime investigations. So you have all of these crimes that are going on, but they never get up to the level where you're actually hitting the organized crime organization in any meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's, that's a problem. Um, I think that we deploy a lot of resources to deal with little things and we haven't really figured out how to deal with the big things yes uh okay so so like yeah cartels are going to launder millions of dollars because billions because they they will deploy their resources to be able to do that and not be detected i forgot who it was somebody did it and it was a bank somebody did it where they literally made a um a, a a deposit like little slot window thing for them to come with the drug money and be like Boop, just put it in uh, all right that's the process yeah like, so hsbc that was hsbc it was in the dirty money uh documentary on but, netflix so good um such a good show like those little things right you you hear how i'm getting right now and i want to jump back one g and g's like these are the conversations that I like. And this is one of the reasons why I was like, yo, I really want to have Amber on because she knows the space. She's comfortable with explaining things out. And it's it's in a regular conversation format, man. Like you can't beat that. <laughs> Thank um, you. But I want to jump back one, right? So sure. uh what was okay where were you prior to the the you getting into the crypto space from the compliance side of it so law degree anything like law um, uh like no so so i've been in compliance since 2001 um it was my first job out of university um out of undergrad somewhere along the way i got a master's degree uh while i was working and i've worked in-house compliance at banks at securities firms at an insurance company um, started doing, uh, went from there to start doing consulting, um, and started my own consulting firm in 2013. So it's, it's just been the road of, uh, kind of all compliance all the time. Okay. Um, and crypto was kind of a, a happy accident. So I can't take any real credit for sort of knowing and foreseeing. Um, I had a, a friend and colleague who called me up and he was doing payment processing at the time. And he said, you know, I'm doing a lot of payment processing for this uh, particular Bitcoin exchange. It's turning into a lot of my volume. I've got to update my risk assessment. Can you do that for me? Yes, yeah, I, I can do that. I've read about Bitcoin and Wired. I don't know a lot about it. Can you pay my retainer in Bitcoin? Um, because that way I can play with it and, and figure out what it does and how transactions work. Because I don't think any of us really understand something until we actually do things, until, you know, until we actually transact, until we actually have a little bit of skin in the game. 
And I mean, I, I can write about payments using Visa and MasterCard all day. I've, I've used those, you know, since I was 18, but I hadn't transacted. So um, the next question people always follow up with is, do you still have that Bitcoin? And like, no, I transacted. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, um, I, I bought what now would be like a very expensive um, tablet. <laughs> It, it, it wasn't that much like it wasn't that it was that much it's just mm -hmm. um, yeah, with, yeah. With the price from the, then to now value, yeah. it's now a very expensive tablet um which uh the the person that i bought it for promptly left on a plane so oh. <laughs> yeah. uh, i have uh, i have no i have no regrets though i had to do those transactions i had to I had to set up a wallet. I had to read about security. I had to, you know, figure out what all of these things meant, what what the implications of key pairs were, what that looked like when I actually went online and went to a merchant and said, "Yes, I want to pay in Bitcoin." What does that interface look like um, mm -hmm. when I set up an, you know, an account on an exchange? What's actually happening at that point? So, what's the dynamic with the exchange itself? Um, those were all very important parts of that process, and I couldn't have done my work effectively if I hadn't done that. So. But now when I get paid in Bitcoin, I tend to hold it. <laughs> I'm just going to say it again and again, GNG. Like, this is what okay. I'm talking about with Trekkie Cryptos to Connect. Talking with people who are in the space and we, we admittingly say it is not um, as convenient as a Venmo or a regular Visa card. Like, it's not. It's just, this so, life is not for everyone, but for where we are now, compared to where it was back in 2012 and 2010, it's a world of difference. You know, like you have multiple wallet options now. We don't have the same level of or number of um, online stores as we did, I think, in like 2015, 2016, but you can use. Purse.io, which is like the clone of um, oh, so good. Amazon, you know, you can use cheap air to buy plane tickets. I do that all the time. That's how I'm going to the World CryptoCon next week or whatever. Um, it, the, the point is to say it is usable in the present day. It is, is it convenient? No, we're like at a two, two and a half. I, I think I think it's convenient in some use cases. Okay. So I mean, if 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 everybody is using crypto to transact, then it's convenient. So if I want to be paid in Bitcoin and somebody wants to be paid me paid in Bitcoin, that's convenient. Um, mm -hmm. It's convenient when you're looking at certain use cases where you're sending money cross border. Yes. Um, so so I have a U.S. partner, and we did. Uh, I'm I'm going to call it an experiment, but it's an experiment because it failed. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a business process had it worked. Uh, but she actually set up an account with uh, the sister bank, so the U.S. sort of um, affiliated bank of the Canadian bank that I was using at the time, um, thinking, great, so they're, they're affiliated, they'll have systems that can communicate to each other. Uh, when we have to settle, it'll be easy for us to send money. Um, and what happened was that they lost a wire. It took uh, countless hours on the phone and and I'm just going. I don't. We don't know where your money is. We can see wow. that you sent it. Uh, we can see that it didn't arrive, and we're not going to credit it to your account. So now you don't have your money, and you just have to keep calling us back until we figure it out. 
So we spent wow. countless hours on the phone with them, try, like trying to deal with this. Um, and and that, like, this is between Canada and America. So this is between two highly evolved, relatively similar banking systems. And it was just a cluster. So the next time that we that we had to settle between each other, we were like, hey, um, Bitcoin? Yeah. So just, I, I know um, and I can confirm yeah. that. Yeah, and and it was it was fast. We weren't we weren't dealing with conversion in the same way because one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin in Canada and it's one Bitcoin in the U.S. Um, so okay, that, so all right, that and and in, and if Bitcoin is what you want, that that works really well. Um, mm -hmm. When you when you get into your on off ramps and your conversion to Canadian dollars and U.S. dollars, it can get a little squeegee. That's a new word for me right there, squeegee. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that one, squeegee. Um okay, so that was your introduction. You know, somebody you knew said, Hey, I need some work done, this is what it is. And you said, Well, in order for me to understand it, let me actually use it. Like, I don't know too many business people who or people who do compliance or analysis or something would be like, all right. Let me understand it by like jumping in and actually using it. It'd be more one of those like, let me read this, let me read that, let me maybe talk to somebody who uses it. But it'd be a lot of like peripheral around the edges of it and like second or third um, degree of separation and then pass off to be like, oh yeah, so I understand X amount of how this thing works and I'm going to tell you blah, blah, blah. Like, I I don't know. It, like it's the way my brain works, and sometimes it works really well for me, and sometimes it doesn't. Like when I'm scuba diving in a new place, one of the things that I have to ask my instructor is like, "Show me things that I can touch." Don't um, touch everything, right? Right? Yeah, because some things sting you and poison you, and then it's not good. Um, so, so I think I just understand that my brain works in such a way that I'm far more effective if I jump in and play with something. Um, mm -hmm. And if I just read all of the peripheral stuff, and I'm, and I mean, I had read probably more than just the Wired article, but that was the one that, that stuck out in my mind, and I wasn't afraid of it at that point in time. So I wasn't looking at it saying like, "Ooh, it's it's risky. It's going to bite me in some way." I understood that it was some sort of digital money, and it had some sort of value. And to my mind, the problem set was more about figuring out how to transact with it. And it, there's so much more than that there obviously that i didn't see at the time um but there there was nothing in terms of my understanding where it seemed overly risky to ask for a retainer in bitcoin yeah uh, man my cpa takes cryptos so i just know i'm never going anywhere else again like <laughs> really you take it sold i, I but um, in so a can i can i ask a funny question do you pay in crypto yes Cool. I so um, the vast majority of our clients in the crypto world are like, oh, great, you you accept crypto, excellent. We're gonna send you this filthy fiat because we're not hodling that. Yes, <laughs> 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 okay. so we like that you know what it is and that we understand it. Also, take this. Back stuff. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So all right. Um. 
Alright GNGs, it's that time I have to talk about the sponsor. So for this episode it is Trexmark Consulting that is the sponsor. And in Trexmark Consulting what they do is take cryptocurrency and blockchain technology and put content into context. Case in point, are you trying to figure out like well how do you spend it? Like where would I be able to spend it at? Um, I don't know any stores locally around me that do that, that accept it. Well, guess what? At Trexmark Consulting, they can help you figure out what you're looking for and the resources or the online stores that actually accept crypto. Case in point, most people don't know that Expedia used to take cryptocurrencies. They don't do it now, but they used to take it at one point. Eventually, they'll get back to it. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, about being able to spend cryptocurrencies as far as being able to get tangible things like services and products that you want, reach out to TrexMarketSultan.com, have a 30-minute free consultation, and learn more about where you can spend your crypto if that's how you're looking to use it. Alright, GNGs, back to the convo, and here we go. You made a point about like how, you know, um, a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin. And one of the things that kind of get me now about the space and looking at how um, fiat, you have your different fiats and then you have the whole different convergence as far as what thing you're going to to what. And then here you come in with this whole different, like we're going to say uh, asset class that's generally speaking a a one-to-one thing but then when you get into the alternates of it it is basically shadowing what the fiat thing is as far as you know a a dollar is a dollar a bitcoin is a bitcoin a ETH is a ETH and then whatever else other altcoin you want to run with down the line and you have to still deal with that whole convergence of like going from ETH to bitcoin bitcoin to litecoin litecoin to a very whatever whatever um yeah. oh man where the i I so lost where i was going with that just now <laughs> ah he sucks oh man all right i'm sorry i i it's were you, gonna were come you gonna ask, like is it needlessly complex do i think it's eventually gonna be one thing i i don't okay. all right but right now depending on what market cap website you're looking at you can see a above 1500 different coin slash tokens on a um and one of the market cap sites and i'm wondering if next year we're going to start to see the culling start to take place um as far as just all right let's let's get down to like maybe a couple hundred no i'm not even gonna say. let's say we'll lose if if we haven't lost already, as far as is a project still going, or did some kind of legal thing happen, which yeah. recently down for us, there's been you know back end stuff. Yeah. So, but I think like next year we're gonna start to see that more in the in um in front of the curtain where it's like oh they're not here anymore oh they're not here anymore and. Well, what happened I, feel, I feel like we're starting to see some of the ICOs from last year just disappear and flame out. But this year, it feels like everybody wants to make a new and different um, either stable token or, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, securities token or asset-backed token. 
So, so I'm seeing different things that are that mm -hmm. are intended to be sort of more stable um, types of of things, but uh, be, um, being used in really interesting speculative ways. Right. So, I on that I go with. Does that make sense at the ground level as far as? If it's not a business level, um, like bilateral trade level kind of deal, government level kind of deal, does something like a stable token make sense down here when I'm talking about, hey, I need to go buy some milk and eggs. I need to pay, you know, um, um, car insurance. Like that level, and granted they tie into bigger systems, as far as like um, money pools and business, you know, things, but that to me is like more kind of down here. And it's like, well, you're going to be back on something that doesn't necessarily have a real pegging to it. Because I started to look at the, like the technical part of like, well, um, how are you minting this coin? How are you deciding how much mm -hmm. to mint? How are you deciding what your consensus is? Like those things start to run around my head. And stable coins, like on the on the to me on the on the face value of it, sound good if you tell me okay, it's something that's you know um, like a precious metal related. But when you start going into like donuts, pork. Um, oh yeah, no. as as sort of like commodities back tokens. Yes. Then I'm just like, what? Like, where, where are we? What? Why? I I think even fiat denominated um, and and fiat backed stable coins get into really interesting things when you're in a volatile economy. Um, and so uh, one of the interesting things in in these economies that are crashing are that eggs become way more valuable as currency than your right. your fiat that's crashing. Um, be, because an egg is always something that you can eat and you can actually trade it. Um, and if your currency is crashing, that egg becomes much more expensive at the end of the day than it was at the beginning of the day. So there, there's an, it depends. I mean, if, if I was in an economy where the market, um, you know, the, the fiat was crashing, the last thing I would want was a token that was pegged to that fiat. Mm -hmm. Now you have a digital representation of a market crash, and I'm not sure what problem that's solving. Okay, um, I don't want to run too far into that rabbit hole. That that's sure. like, like I've because I've recently started to understand more about like the whole thing of like um, Keynesian economics and the Austrian school of thought of economics. And all right, point being is that I've started to like explore that side of the space more. And I kind of had to expand how I was looking at things as far as markets and and then with now writing for the place that I'm writing for and seeing that like you don't control how this thing is going to evolve, um, you know, metamorph um, into it. Huh? I said no, not even a little. 
like we, we have all these ideas of what we wanted to do, whether you're talking about still maintaining control of people's finances, being able to track what they do, or whether you're talking about decentralization, or whether you're talking about, you know, democratizing um, people's financial freedom or economic sovereignty, whatever thing you want to run with. But at the end of the day, like what I'm starting to look at and go like, I can't control everything in the exact, like it's going to be, you know, line one is going to be this. And then sub line two is going to be blah, blah, blah. Like, no, like I have my ideas of what I would like. I would like inclusion in every aspect of it. Does that mean that's what the actual system is going to be? I don't know. No, but, like, I, but I think it's worth building for. And I, I think it's worth thinking about the consequences of, of what we're building, of what we're doing, of, of how we're regulating, of how we're writing policy. And I, know, and I know for a lot of people, like reading policy and attending government consultations is probably the most boring thing in the world. Um, but I, I think they're worthwhile processes to engage in if the outcome is important to you. And I think yeah. that's true outside of the crypto space as well. Um, but certainly we're seeing a lot of consultations from different branches of government. And I think it's important that people that have a vested interest in the outcome are, are part of those consultations and are thinking about what those outcomes should be. I feel like 2018 has been the year of regulators. And granted, everyone was kind of moving, you know, at different things. <clears throat> like, so most of people are talking about, or they put, um, what's the name of the place? Um, Malta on a pedestal, like, oh, look what Malta's doing. Malta, blah, 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 blah. Financial regulations, and they figured out blah, blah, blah about, you know, blockchain. And, and it's like, yeah, but can I go on Malta and go into the supermarket and use it? Can I go to a lounge spot and, you know, buy a coffee or drink a beer? Like some places. Yeah. Most known, like not yet. Um, and the, the thing that I always worry about when people talk about, you know, well, I'm going to incorporate in a foreign jurisdiction. If your plan is to incorporate in Malta and then open an exchange that's just serving U.S. citizens, don't yeah, don't think that some agents aren't going to get on a plane eventually and and come visit you if you, um, you know, either either draw enough complaints or or raise enough attention or money or whatever. That or the question of like, how far are you willing to go as far as the border hopping goes? Okay, so Mm. you went. Singapore and Singapore worked out for like a year and a half um but then you know whatever happened to change the the climate and they're like all right well I'm out like look at what Binance did you're in what is that Japan they do what they do and it's like all right we're out we're out and then now you're in Malta and I think like in in the bigger scheme of it as far as regulators are concerned for them it's more about well if that company comes here we're going to have a nice coffer as long as they're doing what they need to do to keep bringing in the money. <clears throat> now, obviously, Binance has been doing... And, and this is a balance that I think regulators should be thinking about, though, is, is, is what we're putting in place so arduous that we're pushing businesses away? And there are countries that have definitely said, no, we'd like to attract businesses. We'd like them to be housed here. But then it still brings it still brings me back to the U.S. where I'm like, yo, what are y'all doing? Like, 
do you realize like it doesn't take much to be like all right bet like I'm not going to deal with the regulatory stuff here and I'm going to go to another country as a U.S. citizen. And then it doesn't take much to be like, you know what, how much do I really believe in what I'm doing to leave to another country? But that extra step, will I give up my citizenship? Mm. And I think, I think that depending on how next year goes, as far as like what happens here with us in the U.S., people are going to start asking that question more in relation to the business stuff. Like people generally already ask that question now. Like I know a bunch of people who are expats who are like, yeah, like I'm not looking to go back to the States. I know people who have lived in the Middle East for like 15, 20 years. Do they still have US citizenship? X amount of them have given up their citizenship. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But it's one of those, like that's a whole different kind of group of folks in some regards but now we're talking about like hey i have a family hey i have a business partner okay well if i go are you going to look to do the same thing like i feel like the questions that you ask now like when someone says to me hey i want to get into cryptos it's not just a all right well you know go get the litecoin bitcoin and blah 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 on this exchange like now it's like well what are you trying to do in the long run of this like this isn't or or i want to start a business in relation to it's like well are you sure? And if I said you had to leave the country, would you really think that was real? Me telling you that, like that's yeah. And I, I think in in most cases, if the if the people that you want to serve, so if your customers are relatively local, like in the country that you're already in, there's not a whole lot of compelling reasons to go and mm. incorporate somewhere else. Um, if yeah. if that's where you think your core market is going to be, um, then then it probably makes sense to actually be there. Depend, uh, yeah. So like you said, depending on what you're trying to do, I think that definitely influences where you're trying to set up. I feel like wallets, you can be like anywhere on a wallet front. Yeah. Um, if um, if you're non-custodial. Absolutely. I, th- yes. I think that custodial wallets face um, a very different set of challenges. Yes. But, but if you are a non-custodial wallet, you're providing a software solution. So you're, le- like you're less worried about um, being regulated in, in a lot of those ways because the regulation doesn't apply to you. You don't actually hold crypto. There we go. But okay, so we're gonna come in down to the end. Um, as you are the person who knows your side of the house um, way more than I do, and, and how your conversations are going, I'm gonna kind of throw it as a two part thing. Sure. One is, what have you, for the time that you started in to where we are now, what have you been noticing as any differences or shifts or change? And then looking forward, any kind of predictions down the road, whether it be like that two, five year thing, or like, oh, you know, sometime next year, you might start to see this be more popular. Um, I think that in the, in the time that I've been around, I've definitely seen a lot of different projects spring up. So I think you sort of hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that probably we're going to see 
some of these projects fall away. Um, I, I think that we're going to see as that happens, um, people get, it, you know, people who've lost money on it feel pretty bummed. Um, certainly we're going to see some situations where people are trying to take legal action against failed companies. And huh. there's a, there's a comment that, um, Zach Justin made, uh, which was that the difference between, um, a startup and a fraud is really in the heart of a founder. So you sometimes don't know that sometimes things just don't work. Um, sometimes it's the wrong time. Sometimes it's, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Pets.com is the one that everyone references. And I think that's really fascinating when you look at a company called BarkBox, um, which is a subscription-based service where you can say, I have a dog and my dog is, you know, big or medium or little. And they, you know, either they really like to chew up toys or they don't. And, and here's sort of what my dog likes. And every month you get this box that has like treats and toys and things like that for your dog. Wow. So, huh. by the way, super successful um, company. Um, so, so time and place, right? And I think that one of the things that we're going to see is that some of these ideas that right now it's, it's the wrong time, it's the wrong place, it's, it's too early, uh, we are going to see those pop up. 10 years from now, 15 years from now, who knows if our, if our exponential cycle is really as, as much faster as some experts say it is, um, then we might see them even five years from now pop up, pop back up again as being successful ideas. Um, but I think it's important to just, um, uh, even when people fail, I'm really glad that they're trying. Um, even when I've looked at things and said, you know, I, I think that's a terrible idea. Um, I don't think that's going to work from a business perspective. If it's not hurting someone, if it's actually solving a problem, do it. <laughs> you know, try it. Yeah, yeah. I, because if human beings didn't do what other human beings told us was impossible, we wouldn't have any of the beautiful technology that's around us every day. Um, yeah. You know, I... I say often, like I, I'm not, I'm old enough to be not internet native. So the idea that I can have all of human knowledge in my pocket accessible in a, you know, in a second yeah. is amazing. Um, that, that's incredible to me, but it took a lot of really interesting incremental things to happen. So chips had to get much smaller. You had to have these networks, uh, you know, these cellular networks that existed. Um, and you had to have people in the tech world who recognized it. So, so chips got smaller and smaller. And the chip wasn't actually designed for the iPod, um, which for, for super young listeners is um, a iPhone <laughs> with no phone. It just plays the music. Um, so uh, it was like the first gen of this stuff with Apple, right? So what happened was the chip was, it got really small. And the factory that designed other things for Apple had a prototype of this chip and they were in a meeting with one of the execs and he saw the chip and was like, Oh, we have a thing that we want to make that needs a really small chip and it just didn't exist. So we've never made it. Don't sell that to anyone else. <laughs> sell it only to us. And I and got on a plane and went back to Steve Jobs and was like, the chip exists. Let's make the thing now. Um, wow. and, and it was like a first gen iPod, right? That they'd been like, well, this could exist if we could do this this one piece that just hadn't existed yet. That's crazy. 
So you, like yeah. you, you never know, right? You never know what uh, the incremental innovation is that's going to enable a whole bunch of other things to pop up. Okay. <laughs> See, yeah, we're, so we're down. building stuff. Because <laughs> like, I have, yeah, I have a whole another thought on that thing. But last question, closeout question is, what is a crypto-based product or service that you use? It doesn't have to be an everyday use that you would tell others about. Um, I, I am still most excited about Bitcoin. I think some of the innovations that are happening in terms of um, second and third layer solutions on top of Bitcoin are incredible. Um, the work that's happening on Dandelion, which is a privacy specific protocol, absolutely blows my mind. Um, things that are coming in terms of applications built on top of the Lightning Network are absolutely incredible. Um, and, and I think we're going to see, we're, I mean, we're already seeing fast, cheap um, Bitcoin transactions on layer two, but I think those, those are going to happen um, in, in just very cool, large scale ways. Okay, there you have it. Bitcoin was the answer. You're actually the first person who just said Bitcoin, like literally. <laughs> I love Bitcoin. I don't know. You're the first um, person to say Bitcoin. I so. I am as excited about Bitcoin today as I was um, when I first fell in love with Bitcoin. Okay, um, and and I asked this question, GNGs, because. For all the people I talk to, I don't think anyone so far repeated an answer. And this just goes to show that there are practical solutions and actual applications of this technology that can be used today, right now. And we're not talking about, you know, wish an idea of what it's going to be six years and like a day from now. And that's why I ask people this question at the closeout to show that. Love that question. Their stuff, it's here. Just saying. Um, so, Amber, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And if you could leave some uh, contact info for anybody who potentially who's in Canada or any place else that might want you to, you know, shed some information for them, shed some light on some stuff for them. Oh, sure thing. Um, outliercanada.com is our website, um, and I am at Outlier Canada on Twitter. Okay. So, G&Gs, that brings us to a close of another episode of Trekking Cryptos to Connect. I am Trek, and this is Amber Scott, who was with me today. It was a great pleasure talking with her. And as you saw, we got into a lot of different areas. And that's what I like about this, man. Like, I have really interesting conversation with, with people that I think are really interesting. And they're not, you know, super rock star folks as far as, like, this person is a multi-billionaire person or, like, high-level folks. These are people that are right here around us every day. And that's the whole point of Trekking Cryptos to connect. Sit down, have a conversation with somebody, and you'll be surprised what you learn, man. Like, I really take that sentiment to heart. Thank you, Amber. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great. All right, Gingy. So there you have it. That was Amber Scott. I so wish we could have talked more, but, you know, time is what it is. Um, I definitely uh, am glad that I had the opportunity to meet her originally in Texas. 
and have kept in contact with her and maintained that um, uh, open rapport or, or built a rapport with her. Um, she's definitely somebody to know. And just so you know, Gingy's out there, like, just because you work within, like, the whole confines, you know, AML space, it doesn't mean you still can't hold the, the core convictions or the core values of, you know, the original ideas of, of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Like, yes, she does a job that deals with compliance, but, like, when you listen to her talk and understand where she comes from and, you know, what her personal opinions are on things, she, she's, she's at, at core, she's there, like, at least in my opinion of it. Um, but, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. I hope somebody got inspired. I hope somebody learned something. And like I close out with saying for the call to action stuff, please like, share, thumbs up, heart, tell a friend, um, retweet, repost, do all of that fun stuff. And leave a comment, um, whether it be a good or bad comment, I'll accept that as a comment nonetheless. Um, I appreciate those of you who are coming back and listening. And if you just found us for the first time, I'm thankful for you too for finding this for the first time. I appreciate G&G's. So until the next episode, please um, be good, learn something, um, figure out something crypto. And hey, you know, we all have to start somewhere. One G&G's. <laughs>